0: I'm Lauren.
1: And I'm Annie. Welcome Welcome to to Burf Bar. bar.
0: Oh. Living in different homes but still doing the same thing we used to do with the same enthusiasm and excitement that we ever had.
1: I think that's the title of an Incubus song.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You don't even have time to pregame. You came straight from work. Are you catching up on your on your game, game?
1: Yeah, yeah. Nothing like uh, hopping right from work to birth barf time. It's actually, I would highly recommend going right from work to pouring yourself a big glass of wine. I think this is yeah. how the normies do it.
0: Yeah, I think that's how most of America does it. Uh, we'll begin with what's in your drink? What's in your drink? Ooh, wee. What's,
1: what's in, in your, your drink? drink? What's in your drink? What's in your drink? What's in your What's drink? In your drink. I have shitty Kool-Aid wine, mm. my favorite. The mm. flavor recommended from the Olive Garden, mm-hmm. and an algae of water. I only have two bevies today. I feel like I'm three bevies short.
0: Um, I chugged half a bang, so I'm half a bang down.
1: So are you halfway, have, are you halfway in the B bang?
0: I'm a halfway. I'm a halfway in the B bang. <laughs> then I have an Elgin of water from fluff. And then I have um, a Manhattan which you'll notice from its color is more like a juice drink.
1: <laughs> Good. <laughs> and, and I Fluff's hadn't like considered I hadn't considered that there are other alcoholic options for drinking Kool-Aid equivalents. So i had never considered a Manhattan heavy on cherry juice.
0: Well, all you need to do is put a little roses, roses grenadine in it, and it's delicious. It's just like Kool Aid. It's
1: good. It's good. Um, after bevies is Patreons. Hit
0: me. Oh, oh, just, you
1: guys.
0: I just can't. Cannot believe.
1: It. I, and I, I still don't feel like I can ex. I can express enough. Like what each person means to me. Like I, I, I will say this again. I can't believe anybody listens to this. <laughs> Let <laughs> right? alone contributes in any uh, way above listening to an episode. But we have three new Patreons this episode. Wow. We have uh, another Athens Trail Sister, which that group is just showing up hard yeah, showing up with their energy, their love, their dollars, their listens, their presence. The Trava segments. Strava segments. <laughs> I-, I love it. Uh, so Adrian Grooms is Welcome. a new Patreon. Welcome, Adrian. Um we have an Alaska.
0: Oh my peak, god. Which we're, I can't tell you how stoked. I'm I'm sure that you guys have been like put into some special pile for already living in Alaska, but we're putting you in that pile too because it just geeks us out that you're listening from so far away.
1: So we talked before about having Patreon's coast to coast. Now we have Patreon's coast to coast to coast. It's awesome. It's uh awesome. so Amanda Hatton, welcome Amanda. Woo! Yay! And last but certainly not least, On the same week as her birthday, my mom became a Patreon.
0: Aww. Love you, Mom. Thanks, Thanks, spammers.
1: Yeah, thanks for becoming a Patreon. I know, I was like, this feels like my birthday, not yours.
0: (laughs) That's really sweet. That's really sweet. Welcome,
1: welcome, New Barfers. Thanks, Mom. I feel like a late night host. I have many papers this week with lots of notes. So I'm just, if you hear papers wrestling, I'm just throwing note cards left and right as we work our way through them. (laughs)
0: Well, we have a themed episode today, which is unusual. I know. We're just freewheeling.
1: We we did we even did like pre-work. We had homework that we did, which is why I have all these note cards. So, you yeah, know, wow. if, uh, if our, I was going to say maybe with more planning, the episodes will be better than usual, but we deliver, we deliver every oh, episode. Yeah. we're going to so give you the goods. Whatever. So this episode's theme is...
0: Entry into sport
1: a beginner's guide. So where do you want to start?
0: I would like to start with what I would call regular running. And then I'd like to circle back to some items, a bunch of items that we got from our listeners. I think the ice cream truck is going by right now. I feel like I'm losing my mind. Sorry.
1: Sounds like Um, a metaphor
0: it is uh so yeah i want to start with what we would what i would call like regular running and um some gear and some questions that i have for you and then you can bounce them back to me uh i want to know when did you go on your first ever run and what did it feel like
1: so first ever run now this one's difficult to like sort out so i did sports in school. So, you know, I did a lot of like conditioning and stuff for basketball in particular when I got into high school. So, um, and I only say that as a disclaimer, because I know some people are, if you're a true beginner, you didn't run during school. So I, you know, I don't want to exclude that having that experience beforehand takes a little bit of that beginnerness off. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think probably my first Unathletic training-related run was a it was a four-mile fitness walk in a two, non-athletic
0: and athletic endeavor. Yes,
1: actually, I don't sure. even think it was four miles. I think it was two miles. It was in two thousand and ten in Texas, um and I did it with my friend Raina, who now lives in Alaska. Callback, yeah. and cool. uh, we like walk jogged it and i think that was like the first thing that i did that was a bib earner i didn't know that yeah so and i and if if i did runs before that they weren't part of like this era of running if that makes sense
0: yeah i know that makes sense to
1: me yeah um and it felt (laughs) it felt good because we were with a bunch of walkers so every time we ran we felt like we were going a million miles an hour
0: Right, because you're just passing people relentlessly. That is a good feeling, I'm sure. Yeah, that'll lift you up.
1: Yeah. What about you? What was your first run?
0: My first run was from my house on Blake and Maderry on campus at Ohio State. Um, I had been going to Weight Watchers, and I to do my like exercise portion. I had been on. This is a very Kirby story. I had been on a dumpstered stairmill, stairmaster, the kind that like you lift your foot and the hydraulics slowly push the stair back up. Yes. But I leveled out of that after like six weeks and was like, well, I guess I got to go outside and run. So I took my iPod shuffle or whatever it was with the best of Bjork (laughs) and like some sweatpants and a cotton t-shirt. And I don't even know why I had a sports bra to be honest. Um, And I ran, I don't know, probably less than a mile. And it burned in my thighs and was itchy. And I remember my, my lungs burned because I was a pack day smoker. And I was like 85 pounds. Well, no, I was probably like 50 pounds heavier than I am now because I was steadily doing Weight Watchers. But it just felt impossible. And it felt like a means to an end. It felt impossible. It was like, people don't do this for fun. This is stupid. I'll do it because my broken Stairmaster is broken. I'll just do it because I have to. But I didn't like it at all.
1: And I think it's important to clarify. So we're going to be talking about our experiences entering into these different sports as well as like a guide. If you are beginning yourself and you've been thinking about starting one of the activities that we're interested in. So I, um, I, I like the question, what do you wish you knew before your first time? So what do you wish you knew before the first time you ran or maybe like before you started running?
0: Mm, I would say no matter how far you're going, take, a little bit of water i know that not everyone believes in that but for me like there's nothing worse than getting like even just a mile away and thinking like i wish i could turn around because i just wish i had water also don't wear fleece <laughs> what is I- that i also
1: had at early runs that i was wearing sweatpants, sweatpants
0: and, and fleece
1: i think this is the biggest disservice that like rocky the movie has done for us is yeah. saying like this is the clothes that you wear when you're being active
0: yeah, no, actually get yourself some nice workout clothes to like inspire you to go do the thing and feel cute while doing the thing if, you, if that's what you need. Um, I, I would say also, oh, the, the number one thing, and I'm sure I've said it on this podcast a hundred times and I've told it to everyone who's trying to run, and that's that you don't have to go as fast as you can to be running. So do whatever you think is the fastest you can do and then take that down by four minutes a mile. And then stay right there. Like, if you shuffle a 14, 15-minute trot, that's running. Mm -hmm. If you can sustain it much longer, if you can sustain it for more than five minutes and it's a 14-minute mile, perfect. You're running and you'll run farther tomorrow. You don't have to run a sprint to
1: be running. Or the whole time. Or the whole time. I think I wish I would have known that run walking is... Totally okay. Like, it's not like as soon as you break out of a running gate that you are no longer running or are a yeah. runner. Like, if you run half of a block and you yeah. need to walk two blocks to catch your breath and then you call it a day, you done did it. You yeah, did that. You did a fail run. This
0: level of the video game, if you stopped running during this run, you're still on the run. You're still on a run.
1: Yep. Walking does not delete your run. And I think I would apply this to each sport, every sport that we're going to end up talking about, but there is no first step that is too small to count. Yes. If you put on your running clothes and you go out your door, you did it.
0: That makes me want to cry a little bit. Cause that even inspires me. And I've been running for like 10 years. That still makes me feel better. When I feel like I can't do anything and I go do something, that's so important to me. Like it that adds up.
1: It does. And there is no, there is no invisible criteria that you need to meet before you are a runner or no. invisible criteria that counts as a run or doesn't count as a run. It's going to be different for every person. So yes. feel free to go slower. Feel free to go absolutely. shorter. Like, absolutely. Feel free to do it when no one's around. Feel free to recruit 30 people in order to help you get it done, whatever whatever you need.
0: Hell yeah. We have a listener who jumped in for um, some beginner's tips. Amanda Hutton says, everybody chafes. This is exceptionally valuable because I have learned that even the leanest people out there still get chubbies rubbies in random spots. Like if you're a person, some part of you dangles. <laughs> like doesn't matter what shape parts you of you rub against other parts yeah it doesn't matter if you're if you're this big or any other size you are gonna rub somewhere so lube it up especially and in Ohio we live in a swamp it's wet out there and sticky
1: and just because you have chafing uh to Amanda's point it doesn't mean you're not a runner hiker biker etc like yeah nobody goes yeah. out and has it be flawless on their yeah. attempts like
0: your thighs touch because you have a body and like, mm-hmm. don't you're not, you don't have to be like a bag of toothpicks. It's ridiculous. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, I also wanted to point out resources for runners. Um, because I think of starting out these things and like what my fears are starting a thing, I think are very different of yours starting a thing, which is great. And the things that motivate me to start a thing are very different from yours. So with running, Uh, some of the listeners advice as far as like what started them off was to have social backing. So whether it was setting a goal and putting that out for others to help hold them accountable and for other people to know what their um, intent was, that was super helpful for them or finding a running group. Like um, wherever you are, almost everywhere you are, there is some kind of running group that meets once a week or as part of a longer term running plan. Like if being around other people is what helps you get started on the thing, seek that out. On the flip side, if you feel like you need to do your run after it is dark so that no one sees you and doing it completely alone and never telling anyone, you just do what you need to do. That is okay too. I
0: agree. Totally. Uh, So I'd like to level it up from that to talk about um, ultra running. I don't know if you want to talk about trail running first on its own before we talk about ultra running.
1: Yeah, because I, I definitely want to separate out that trail running is its own thing outside of ultra running, right? Like you, you can go on a trail and do a half mile run, and that's still trail running. So I think there's like a graduation almost of road or paved running to trail running. Um, so for someone looking to get on the trail for the first time, Lauren, what would you say your must-haves or must-dos are either to prep or during the event that is maybe different from what we just mentioned for road running?
0: I'd always start with take water. I don't, I don't, I cannot emphasize this enough. I know that sounds nuts, but like you will regret not having food and water no matter the distance is just my personal opinion. I say always pack. Also find yourself a, a shoe that has either some good stability or some good lugs or a combo of both depending on the terrain that you're going to. You're going to find that if you use a road shoe to start, you'll probably make it through just fine, but you're going to feel it because a lot of, you know, there are no road shoes that have rock plates in them or that extra um, rubber on the, on the sole to sort of catch you if you are like um, running over rocks and roots and like sometimes your foot is hinging over a root. And if you have a nice level of stability in a trail shoe. You can sort of roll over that without hurting yourself. And if you're in a road shoe, you're going to have a lot more pliability in the sole and you're going to really feel it in your arches. You're also probably going to stub your toes. You're going to fall. Just be prepared. Everyone's first season, like you're going to catch a toe on something and you're going to go down hard. Like most people do. Most people have a season where they fall.
1: Yeah. Or if you're like um our friend Eric Strand, who's done Leadville like six times, he's been trail running and doing ultras for years and years and years, and I think wipes out hard face first. Yeah at least once a race. So yeah. that's, okay. that's okay. That's okay. Um what about you? I would say understanding that your pace will be significantly slower, most likely, depending on the train you choose, than your pavement pace. So going in with that expectation can help, can help marry up, uh, like what, where your bar is. If you know that you're going to be running like 40% slower, then it feels a lot better than trying to go out and do trails at the same pace that you do pavement. So yeah.
0: Don't want to deflate you. I would say fully expect between two and four minutes more per mile when you hit trail, no matter what your strength is like.
1: I also think location is key for your first trail run. They're um, picking some place that has really good trail markings so that getting lost is one less thing you have to worry about your first time. I promise, as you get used to doing trails more often, the navigation part and following a trail and knowing how to get back to your car will become less and less of a thing. But on that first run, having like a clearly marked trail loop or something that you know you will end up back at your car it just removes one less stressor yeah
0: or download and pack the map
1: yes yeah
0: that's what annie does and yeah it's helped it's helped me before (laughs)
1: yeah um and don't be afraid i think uh that's key for trail running like it can seem like a completely different animal but the it's worth it man it's worth it
0: you will feel like you are a wild animal that is in tune with the spirit of the earth. And,
1: and, uh, I think again, these are things that apply to everything, but find a buddy, find a mentor, find a buddy. Mm -hmm. Um, there are people out there that want you to come do the thing that you are considering doing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Last tip there, Um, if you want to feel truly unified with nature and the spirit of the earth, I highly recommend listening to the Moana soundtrack. And that's it for trail running for me.
1: Good. Uh, (laughs) Ultra running.
0: Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to go ahead with my very first tip, which I learned from Annie as the first thing that I learned, which is walk the hills. Unless you're mega elite, walk the hills. You want to keep your heart rate. Um, steady, and you want to try to not spike it because if you have a long, long way to go, the less peaks and valleys of your heart rate you can get, the better. Because if your heart rate spikes, you can heat up and start burning a lot of energy that you don't want to. And if it dips, you can sometimes get cold, you can get like chills, um, it can mess with your metabolism if you're having these peaks and valleys of heart rate. So, if you sort of stabilize your effort level as the terrain rolls along you can, I think, see more
1: success. Uh, and we should define some of these things too, um, just because if somebody's found this, that is a complete noob in sure. all areas of endurance and outdoors. Ultra running? ultra running is any distance that is longer than a marathon. So if you did 26.3 miles, baby, you done did it. You, you didn't did You didn't ultra run. Yeah. Um, I think it is worth knowing that there are There is a whole spectrum of ultra running, so you can never, ever have run or run a trail and you will, you can still do an ultra. There are ultras that are on tracks. There are ultras that are on pavement. There are ultras that are on dirt. There are ultras that are, you know, 50 K distance, which is 31 miles. There's ultras that are 10 days long. There is an ultra that is right for you, that will inspire you. Um, I think uh, there was some listener advice that I think is especially uh, important or valuable in this section. Darren Herman uh, mentioned picking a good mantra to repeat to yourself when the going gets tough. I feel this more on ultra running than any other discipline because I think because of the the rhythm part, like Courtney mm-hmm. DeWalter has talked about how important um, mantras are to you. And Darren pointed out, like, make sure your mantra is not, oh man, this sucks, which is sure I might go gravitate towards. be offered up. I am super awesome. Goodness, muy excelente as a <laughs> as a alternate I, I love that.
0: I didn't know that was a direct yeah, quote. Yeah. I liked reading it with different emphasis in my mind, which was, uh, I, I'm super awesome. Goodness. Really excellent.
1: <laughs> That's the spicier version. I like That's it. That's the spicier version.
0: I have a million. Um, I've, I've stolen and borrowed a bunch, uh, in the, you know, in the deep darkness, I, I use, you know, burn, burn your boats or burn your bridges and burn your boats is an akil thing um, in shorter distances. I'm a, I'm a bad man pajama. I'm a bad motherfucker.
1: I like your, um, you can only do this today.
0: Yeah, there is, that has been really important because that helps bring me back to the sense of, um, bringing importance back to ultra running because it's easy to be like, well, (laughs) I always gravitate towards someone like children are starving in another country. What is my ultra running bringing to the world right now? Right but it's your thing. And you decided yesterday this was your thing. And today you have to remember that it's your thing. And on Monday, you're gonna remember that it's your thing. And if you didn't do it, boy, will you be bummed. So spend it, leave it all out there, and you can't do this on Monday.
1: Uh, I also think for beginners to know that maybe have considered an ultra, I stand firmly by the idea that the only thing you need in order to be able to run an ultra is desire. I think as soon as you have affirmed to yourself that an ultra is something you want to do, the other pieces are, they're, they're hard, but they're not impossible. Like you can walk a 50 K again, there is a race, there is a race for everyone. Like, uh, I've seen so many beginners go through this process. Like my mom doing her first ultra last year, my dad doing his first ultra a couple years ago. My little sister's done a couple as like, uh, not, Mm uh, not somebody who runs every day. Like Mm -hmm. you can, if you are thinking about doing an ultra, you can do it. You just have to, you just have to start.
0: Yeah. And you just have to like being on your feet, frankly, like if you're cool with moving slowly, but steadily, you can do an ultra really anybody can.
1: What gear should a beginner have before they start training for their first ultra or start doing their, their first ultra?
0: I think if you're comfortable with wearing a pack, you should probably get yourself a good hydration vest. If you don't like things touching your back, you can wear two handhelds that have maybe zippy pockets that you can store gels and keys in, things like that. I mean, I've been averse to wearing the backpack sometimes just because it really does feel like it's weighing you down. But you need to find a way to bring your water and electrolytes and the steady stream of food. We've talked in the past about what works for each person calorically is different. Like if you need electrolytes and calories in your water, how many calories you need per how many minutes as you move. It used to be for me that I would do like 100 calories every 30 minutes. Now I'm, I've pretty much cut that in half and can still thrive. Um, so, yeah, a way to maintain your water and calories on your body is a good start.
1: What would you say yeah for me it would be uh good shoes so good trail shoes and a hydration pack i i think a hydration pack ends up being such a valuable piece of equipment no matter if you go out for a five mile trail run or you go out for a 30 mile ultra run I just think it's something that even if you don't end up using race day because you're doing a looped course or you're just that fast or whatever, it's such a good staple to have in your gear shed that investing in one is a good idea. Also, this is another area where, you know, I've got, I think our family <laughs> generally has like one or two old vests in circulation. Like Lauren, I think you've benefited from, I I've, we've done vest hand-me-downs to yeah. pretty much every relative and uh, several friends, um, connecting with other ultra runners is a good idea to either test out vests and gear before you get them. Um, or to, if, if, you know, if you've got an old crappy vest sitting around, like that could so one man's trash is another person's treasure yeah, so I'll connecting with others I'll be
0: my ultra vest soon here if anybody wants to benefit from uh, probably sewn up hand-me-down yeah when I think about your original white wubby yeah it was like so small and so light and so unlike any vest we wear now which are kind of like beefier have a lot more pockets
1: just you want to know something there. funny so, so it was a Nathan, it was a Nathan vest. That's the one that ended up going on the Ozarks training run. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I wore. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was an older Nathan vest. When I did pilot mountain 50 K last year with my mom and my little sister, if you remember, that's the race that I forgot my suitcase, <laughs> all my stuff in it. Yep. Luckily, yep. Alex, my little sister had brought my had brought that Nathan vest that i had handed down to her. She had brought it as a backup option for her to wear. And I ended up wearing that same vest for the 50 K last year because wow. I didn't have my vest still held up. No, nope. wow. didn't, didn't burn the shit out of my armpits or anything. It was great. Nothing yeah. was, was
0: sort of mangled when I used it five years ago, we used to have like ACE bandages that we like wrapped around it. So it wouldn't shave your shoulders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> old yeah. Skin. Boy, um, I, I'd like to uh, give some tips and tricks from another one of our listeners, John Croy or John Croix, if Kwa? that's how you prefer it. Um, find friends and a group that you jive with. I feel like that happened to me almost immediately. I found the, the Rocks and Roots Trail Runners Association and got in with people like Brandon and Travis Lloyd and Morgan. And Barrick and a bunch of other folks, and really like had a good leg up on just a sense of community. It was like run six miles, drink four beers, and, a pi- and have a pizza. Like it was just it was something to look forward to. Uh, he also says sign up for a race and commit, which I love. Make a promise to yourself. If it's scarier, if it's scary, that's even better. And lastly, he says more is more is more is more in the trail runner mentality. All right, love it, love it. Uh, Let's move on to mountain biking, which is new to Annie, but is now the center of her universe.
1: (laughs) Well, to be fair, I'm doing a lot of biking on a mountain bike. (laughs) Now, you've also been hitting the trails. Yes, yes, yeah. So this... This is, some, this is something that I feel very much like I'm still in the, in the newbie category. Like, I still very much feel like a beginner. Like, I do not. And one of the – one of this is probably a phenomenon, too, or a, a byproduct of the fact that you – this is, like, something that is so in your wheelhouse. And I'm like, well, I've never raced Mohican 100 on a mountain bike, so I'm still a beginner. No, well,
0: <laughs> I'm not allowed to use that. <laughs> I'm also, like, back to square – two. So, not a big not a big gap between us frankly.
1: Sure. So, um, how do you start I would I would like us to talk about cuz one of the things that I think is intimidating about mountain biking or cycling in general is uh how do you start without having a $1000 bike?
0: And I would love to answer that question for you because you're going to be so excited to hear it's not hard at all because the cycling community is like a is like a pack of wild raccoons with a bag of crack cocaine. He's like, oh, "Do you want some of this? Do you want some of this? You gotta have. Some of this, you gotta have some of it. You want some of it? We really got a lot of it. They're tweaked on it. They're tweaked on bikes more than running. Runners are tweaked on running. I swear to God. Like I've hung out with trail runners, ultra runners. They're jazzed, but they're also people who have like other things going on. The bike people are just snorting pure pure cycling." <laughs> And they want you to go. And they, there's just a huge network of them that have extra bikes. Also, it's the best possible time to get into mountain biking because Combo, the Central Ohio Mountain Biking Organization, has recently, within the last couple of years, switched over to a good friend of mine, Heidi. And it has just blown up. They've got money for trails. They've got a lot of interest. They've got people building trails. They've got uh, a skills and drills course and a pump track for kids. They've got, I mean, they're doing amazing things for mountain biking in Ohio. And I feel like um, if you want to find entry to the sport, taking a dirt school course is a really good start. Um, multiple times a year, Combo hosts a dirt school where you learn basic handling skills. Um, and if you really want to get like into it and you don't have a bike, go to the Combo Facebook page and find somebody who's willing to lend you one because I swear there are people out there who would get into the network, you know, and if you can't get into the network of people hit me up because I will get you those people. <laughs> like it's just about having friends who like to bike because I, I don't have a single mountain bike friend that wouldn't lend out one of their extra mountain bikes to, to like let you see if you like it for a summer.
1: And I think some, and I can't imagine that Columbus is unique with this, but Paradise Garage as a bike shop, for example, in Columbus, they rent out mountain bikes and I'm sure other bike shops do too. So if it feels like a big leap to take without knowing if you're going to like it, if it's something that you will work into your schedule, rent a mountain bike for a day or two or for a trip or two and see if it's something that feels like it's worth an investment to you or not.
0: Alternative option in the off season is there's a place in Cleveland called Ray's Mountain Bike Park, which is an indoor skills park. And you can rent a variety of different, you can rent BMX bikes there, you can rent dirt jump bikes, but you can also rent full mountain bikes. And they have different courses that are suited better for each of those bikes. Like there's a cross country course, which is perfect for a mountain bike. Um, There's a lot of like specific technical lines that you can ride to get your skills honed in. So if it's, you know, snowing two feet here and you really want to test it out, it's also a good place to just rent a bike for a day and walk away, you know? Um, it doesn't cost that much money.
1: Yeah. Um, Anita mentioned, uh, she said she got a mountain bike for her birthday and she really needs some basic balance, confidence, don't crash into the Galdern gate before you even get on the trail skills.
0: <laughs> yeah. So like I said, I would definitely recommend um, Dirt School if you're local. Um, there are also... Uh, There are women's specific bike camps. There is one in Brown County every year. um, Cool. You can be any, any skill level. You can be just got on a bike or you can be somebody who races um, and they practice skills and drills um, with only women. There's also a women's only um, class every February at Rays where it's taught by downhill and pro mountain bikers. So there's a lot of female spaces in the sort of tri-state area and where probably wherever you are, um, where you can learn and what I would say feels like a safe zone where nobody's mansplaining you or making you feel like you're not doing a good job.
1: And I think it's important to call out that you're not alone. Like if I was I'm continuously surprised to be like, uh, you know, if you like look up YouTube videos to be like, which which way should my which way should my hands be on the handlebars or whatever, yeah. like whatever, the most go? basic, whatever the most basic question that you feel like, Oh, I should know this. You're not the only one asking that question. So there are clinics, there are classes for you. You just you the internet, get to the yeah. internet.
0: Yeah. I would say of all the sports that I've ever done, I want to tell you that this was the scariest entry point for me it felt kind of impermeable because it felt sort of stewed and like hardcore elitist bro Red Bull culture. It felt scary. It felt kind of high risk. It felt like a lot of people were racing really fast on really fancy bikes. And I felt like there wasn't a place for me there. And it felt like I really like plugged my nose and jumped off a cliff into cold water. And it doesn't have to be like that. There are easier ways. Like I wish I had taken skills and drills courses with women which I ended up teaching for years after that, hopefully creating a safe space for women to feel like there's a place for them. But it was definitely the scariest entry point for me. But I wanna say like, there's a space for you. If, if riding mountain bikes sounds thrilling and fun and cool and something you wanna have in your wheelhouse, there's a place for you there. And you, know, you can carve it out, but there are people who are actively already working in the community to carve that space out for you.
1: And I think, uh, just for context, I feel like it's important to have like reality in this too, out of all of the, um, activities that I do and races that I do, I think mountain biking is the scariest, (laughs) like I can be out in the middle of the woods and only have a compass to find my way back. That's not as scary to me as being on like a mountain bike trail and not knowing what's around the corner or if I'm going to be able to handle my bike through it. So if you feel scared, it's okay. It's
0: totally normal. It's it's okay.
1: It's totally normal. It's okay to be scared and continue to move forward or to continue to try and do the thing.
0: Scariness aside, what I wanted to ask you is what do you like about mountain biking so far?
1: I, in particular right now, it feels like a running fast pass. (laughs) Like I like that I get the thrill and experience and Zen of trail running while on a mountain bike and getting done and being able to be like, just knocked out 25 miles. That would have taken me hours and hours and hours on foot. And just like that feeling of challenge and having to pay attention because that's one thing between running on like pavement versus dirt, right? Is like, you can't, you can't like disengage the whole time on a trail run because you're going to eat shit. You're going to on something and eat shit. Yeah. And I feel the same way about mountain biking, where I feel like my brain is engaged in making decisions and making my way through. And it's just, um, it's a big confidence. It's a big confidence booster to feel like, Oh, that's, that's a, that's a thing I can do. Who yeah. knew? Yeah.
0: Um, that's awesome. I'm happy
1: How did you um, how did you feel when you were beginning, you touching this a little bit as a beginning mountain biker, like, I don't know that I know, like the first time you got into mountain biking or cause you, you did like a shit ton of road biking before you switched over to mountain bike. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I had art. I did. I had already had a season with Ohio state as a road racer and that summer following that season, my friend, Kristen Arnold, who is now a pro bike racer, um, she was like, we're going to go mountain biking. And I was like, I'm really scared and I don't want to go. And I worked at a bike shop at the time and I didn't have a mountain bike. And I went into the basement and I was like, what's this trash bike in the corner? And they're like, oh, a guy who used to work here rode it and then he moved. And I was like, cool, it's mine now. And they were like, yep. (laughs) So I took that bike, which had a cracked frame, by the way, which I raced for a whole season. Whoa, whoops. Um, She said, "Let's go to Chestnut. I think it was Chestnut Ridge, yeah, which at the time had a bunch of different features. At the time, if people recall, there was um, a car hood that used to be a feature that was like a (laughs) that would tip as you rode it. It was very primitive back then. Those were different times. But we did the four mile loop, and it took like all of an hour at least. And my heart rate was a thousand. I was sweating buckets, and I was I was like hyperventilating." like every, it felt like a cardio effort because I was so scared. And when I g- would get off, I would just be like trembling. Like my adrenaline was like lifting a car off of a baby. I-, I was freaked out. And I still, I mean, I went to a pool afterwards with a bunch of bike friends and was like, I'm a mountain biker now. <laughs> That's cool. I'm a mountain bike. I am mountain bike. And I was, it, I mean, I was really stoked, but I was also like, legitimately like as scared as I would be like walking over a log like a mossy log that's over like a waterfall you know how that, you know what that would I be. do
1: I do that's like a near-death experience for you yeah um we had a couple people comment about wanting to know more about getting into bike packing and I have to tell you something because it cracks me up at first I was like oh well shoot this isn't like in our in our scope of things that we know and I was like oh wait Lauren Bike packed across <laughs> across the country. Never mind. This is definitely something that we should we can shed some light on light into. So, uh, what would be your advice for somebody who's looking to get into bike packing?
0: So, I would say exactly like hiking the Appalachian Trail. I would say get all your gear in a room and like put it on the floor for your like Instagram post, and then take away like forty percent of what you have. Really? Because, yeah, take nothing. Take as many things as you absolutely critically need and don't even fool yourself about them. Like, don't be like, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll read. No, you won't. Don't take the bullshit. Don't take any of the bullshit and also don't pack a bunch of extra bike replacement stuff. Just get that on the way unless you feel like it's totally critical. Like we had packed like road flares, extra spokes, extra tires. Don't do that. Don't do that. Take as little as possible. Um, what else? Um, be prepared to go wicked, wicked slow, and don't get frustrated when you are going wicked slow. Um, try to balance your load on your bike, because if a strong wind blows and you're really weighted to one side, you're going to crash pretty hard. Um, take your descents very carefully because if you're a heavily weighted bike pack, uh, situation, if you wreck, boy, oh boy, if you wreck like 50 miles an hour going downhill, like you're going to fuck yourself. Oh. So uh, be really careful on your like mountain descents or any like large descents, if you, especially if you're weighted because you're like a motorcycle at that point.
1: What's your hierarchy of bags on a bike? So like what's like the first bag that you must have and like what's kind of like second and third tier from there? Yeah. So this
0: is another thing I would say, do not skimp on your, on your panniers or panniers, whatever you enjoy buy a nice set of ort leaves. Don't mess around with janky bags. So you it's
1: should staggering. explain what a pan- pantier is. That's how we a say pannier, it in our house.
0: Panniers are um, bags that uh, ride on your bike like a saddle bag. So you, if you're going a great distance, you'll probably want a front rack and a bike and a bi- back rack, easy for you to say, um, and panniers on the front and back, and maybe even stuff loaded on top of those racks. So um, your saddlebags, do not skimp on them. Make sure they are very tough, very waterproof, and that they hook onto your racks really solidly, because mine were a little bit janky with their attachment system, and the cords got wrapped in my cassette on a really scary descent in California, and I definitely almost died. So
1: don't die for your panniers.
0: Don't die for your panniers. <laughs> for your panniers. Uh, get nice ones.
1: Um Something we didn't even talk about, and we should talk about, we haven't carved out specifically road biking, but something we didn't talk about is uh, gear outside of your actual bike. So I think um, for me, I've been on the chamois train lately, which is, uh, so it's the pad in your bike shorts that helps your ass not turn into leather itself. Um, So I feel like... um, Buying a good chamois once I started getting into the long distances was definitely worth the investment. Um, I don't think you need to have one before you start cycling even a little bit, but I think if you're looking to upgrade something or when you think about uh what are those key pieces worth investing in, I feel like a good chamois for me is has really paid off. I don't give two shits about what shirt I'm wearing what socks I'm wearing. You can wear a shitty old pair of running shoes, but like you want your ass to be as, as smoothly going between the seat and the, and the shorts. I think it's fair to say that when you start cycling, your ass is going to hurt for the three, Mm -hmm. first three weeks of consistent riding. Would you agree?
0: No matter how tough you think you are or or who you think you are, your butt's going to hurt. Sorry. It's really going to hurt a lot.
1: And I think, uh, it's like, um, you need to do it for like, consistently for those first it's not like you have to get on your bike for like five hours every day but you need to go for a ride every couple of days for three weeks before it finally starts stops hurting because i admittedly until uh until quarantine had never done a long enough stint riding consistently to not have my ass hurt and it's kind of like with running if you only go out on two mile runs all the time the first two miles of every run fucking sucks. It sucks, Mm -hmm. sucks bad. And if you never get past that, it will always suck. And I feel like with bike riding, if you never get to that three week riding point, it will just always suck and your ass will always hurt. I agree
0: (laughs) with that. I also would say, don't feel creepy about getting chamois butter and putting it all over your buns and all over your hoo-ha. Your vagina and
1: your vulva.
0: Yes. Put it all over. There are female specific pH balanced things like Chamois butter makes a her version, get that, smear it all over yourself. Don't be shy about it. Also dudes, if you don't want to burn your balls off, put a ton of sh- it, it, And these are different kinds of lubes. You can't use Chamois butter for running and you can't really use body glide for your buns when you're cycling.
1: Good advice. Okay. Um, so we talked okay. about bike packing, talked about how to, okay, moving on.
0: Okay, let's talk about orienteering.
1: Orienteering. What is orienteering? Orienteering is moving around with nothing but a map, map and compass. That's yes. Fair to and say.
0: really, this is a sport I would never have done without Annie being interested in it. And I want to know what drew you to orienteering originally?
1: So that's a good question. So I got into orienteering uh, when I was in a race that was predominantly an ultra race, but involved an orienteering aspect. All right. And I found myself making some mistakes on my navigation because I was not confident in my skills. So I had actually, uh, I started by going to a women-only clinic put on by Orienteering Cincinnati, the Orienteering Cincinnati club and did a clinic um, taught by women for women it was great and got the basics down that way. But what I didn't know at the time is that there is always room for improvement in Orienteering, like Orienteering, like other sports, there are people who are like, there are people who are like good and there's people that are perfect at it. In Orienteering, there is, there is only doing your best, and still messing up sometimes like I still feel like the best people I know still have times where they're like I took a wrong turn I just didn't see it um so what initially got me in was uh this race that I did that I needed to know orienteering that wasn't an orienteering race (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and then I got uh hooked because after the race and I I had a big navigation error because I trusted somebody el- somebody else's judgment more than my own. I was like, "Hey, I need to practice this a lot so that when it comes to times of decisions, I can break away from that herd mentality because it was so strong to be like if there's, you know, three people going that way even though I know I need to go left, I'm going to follow the three people going to the right." It was crazy. I did not yeah. expect that.
0: You want to be able to rely on yourself to make the decisions and not to be like, "Well, everyone else thinks this is a good idea." I'm like I've been at Barkley Fall Classic where I've seen the elite pack go out a mile and a half the wrong direction and come back a mile and a half together. And I'd be like,
1: oh, hello.
0: Are we at the turn? Am I now running with the elites halfway through a race? Yes, I am. Guess you know shouldn't have followed that dude because he definitely didn't know it was up.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've seen
0: you do that. I've seen like, we've been on a race before and I've been like, I've been feeling the draw of being like, that feels right. Cause like 15 people are going the way and you're like, map, 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 map. We're going to bomb left out of the woods. And I'm like, but all the,
1: all right. And then it almost always, it's true. So and then it's the thing. Yeah. I think one of my, so I feel like a lot of other sports people are going to already know that they want to get into it. You want to get into orienteering. You just don't know it yet.
0: It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's highly nerdy highly rewarding, super fun, not very competitive. If you're worried about like the fear of like towing the line at a really competitive sport, it's pretty solo mission. Like you're not going to see a lot of other people. You can really rely on yourself to get around. Like you're, I don't know. There's so many good things. Like
1: I almost feel like you need, I feel like you need less physical fitness to do orienteering the first time than even like a trail run because there's no, pre- there's no pressure to run. Like you can go do an orienteering event and walk or hike the whole thing. Completely totally. acceptable. Also have firmly been beat out by people who are walking the course when I'm running as hard as I can. Yes, so, I've been there for that. um, so I think, uh, like all these other disciplines, orienteering comes in all these different shades. So one of them is like, a classic orienteering course where you get a map that says, hey, you go to point one, you go to, and then you go to point two, you go to point three, four, 4, 5, and you work your way through this course. There's usually uh bearing degrees, whether it's a easy short course, all the way up to a long, technically challenging um, course. And that's just one style of orienteering. Uh, in addition to that, there's row gains, which tend to be longer timed events where they don't tell you what order to go from checkpoint to checkpoint. They just give you a map and say like, hey, here's the time you try and get as many as you can. There are ones that are done in cities. There's ones that are done in deep woods. There's ones that are predominantly on trails. There's ones that are all backcountry. There's all these different flavors. I think the best advice that I can give to someone looking to start in orienteering is to find the closest orienteering club to them. So if you go to orienteeringusa.org, you can put in your zip code and it will tell you what the closest uh, orienteering club too is we're pretty lucky in Ohio. Why? I don't know, but we're pretty lucky here. We have the Cincinnati orienteering club. We have the Northeast Ohio orienteering club. We have a central Ohio one. There's an Indiana club. There's a Southeast Michigan orienteering club. And each one of them put on a a really big race calendar of events. Like we've said before and again, if you're like first time here, um, like Orienteering Cincinnati's wars or winter adventure racing series is pretty much my lifeblood all winter long to stay motivated. They have an orienteering race every weekend for like five months. It's It's super impressive. And this one again is the people who are into orienteering want you to get into orienteering. Like I've taken a couple of friends orienteering and they had a great time and I was so happy to like take people out for the first time. To just move around using a map and compass and nothing else and i would even say some courses a compass is optional you can navigate by hey we're at this park sign mm-hmm. and i know that i need to go to the baseball diamond looking at the map so you move yep. from the map sign to the baseball diamond.
0: yeah that's a good place to start and if you're a local uh osin has our is our local club and they have a series that's currently happening right now which is the queen city adventure running series, they have a race this Saturday um, and the fo- and the two following Saturdays um, in Kentucky, Loveland area, and also one in South Bend, Indiana. So if you're looking to get started now, this is a pretty COVID safe event. You're not gonna be around other people. You basically will get your materials and leave.
1: Yep, and that's, you had mentioned this before, like there's not a mass start for orienteering. You, there's usually a window of time that you start for traditional orienteering uh, courses. Um, so you don't have to line up with anybody else. You can start at your own pace and another kudos to Orienteering Cincinnati. They do an introduction clinic at the beginning of almost all of their events. So if you've never orienteered before, you can just show up race day. They will help you understand the basics of orienteering and set you on your way.
0: It's very boy scout feel like it's sometimes it's even very often. It's at a boy scout camp. So it's just got like a family vibe. If you want to bring your kids or your husband or your wife or your partner, like it's a cool way to like do sports with your family.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've seen it as dates. We've seen it as like mm-hmm. family activities with small children. Like it's it's fantastic. It's one of my favorite things. And I think um, maybe the last thing I'll say on this is you don't need to wait for a series or a race event. Um, our good friend Chris Geekis runs Northline Navigation out of Asheville, North Carolina. And if you wanted to pull up with some of your buddies and pay for him to do an orienteering course in your neighborhood, he can set that up so that you can do an orienteering course in your neighbor- neighborhood and use an app on your phone where you seek out a virtual point. So there's not actually going to be a control point flag for you to go there, but your phone will let you know when you've hit the area where the checkpoint is and you can practice and get used to orienteering on your complete own schedule. So like he's, Chris has been setting up courses for race directors in Florida. He's set up some courses in Ohio. Like you know again pool together with some friends throw some doll hairs at geekus and get an <laughs> orienteering course set up in your neighborhood and you know each you and all your friends run it individually and it keeps track of all your times how long, like you can have a completely virtual race event it's awesome
0: it's really really
1: cool cool um
0: anything yeah. else about orienteering before i move on
1: i don't think oh Uh, I wanted to ask, what do you get from orienteering that you don't get from any other sport you do?
0: See, for me, that is definitely um, being present to time and place because this is the only sport where I can't daydream, let my mind wander, or talk to you. Um, Like if I'm biking, I can go somewhere else in my mind. If I'm running, I can listen to a podcast. This is the one sport where you constantly have to be uh, I would say like fully mindful of time and place. Like you have to be in this moment constantly. Annie and I don't talk when we orienteer about anything other than the map and where we're headed. Um, this is a lot. <laughs> it is, yeah. It does. I mean, we've tried and we screw up every time. So we stopped talking. We have to focus on the map. Um, so I feel like for somebody with ADHD, it's really nice to be able to be honed into time and place for like a pretty prolonged period of time. Um, and still be enjoying myself, and like it helps me like take in the scene and like the terrain and the trees and the birds and the flora and the fauna and the mushrooms it's like i'm I'm like hyper alive and hyper locked in
1: and for me, something I get from orienteering that I get some and other stuff, but my sense of self efficacy from being skilled in orienteering makes me feel very accomplished like uh, the idea that somebody just tells me where I am now and gives me a map of places that I need to go without giving me any instruction on how to go from point to point or how to get back like it feels very empowering to know that I can step into the woods and step out safely having done the thing that I I accomplished or that that I set out to do a
0: baller you're a total baller that's not mine because I don't always know where we are
1: but you're working on it and your your navigation has improved a lot
0: yeah, it has it's just not as much as yours
1: and with all these things, feel free to message us questions or if you are like i really like I really need to know something basic we're happy to answer any question you want to try and get you into something new like because yeah. I know for us it's been super it's just it's it's a key part of our life is trying these new things out. Um, and I wouldn't have thought like four years ago that we would be into adventure racing, for example.
0: Right. So let's talk about adventure racing. Let's talk about
1: adventure racing.
0: <laughs> um, I want to know, how did you, I was going to ask you, how did you get the balls to decide you were capable of such a feat? But instead I've rephrased to say, how did you get the rock hard vagina to decide that you were capable of adventure racing. It's essentially like a mountain, like a mountain triathlon, right?
1: Yeah. So it's like everything that we've talked about so far rolled up into an event, right? I was looking up like definition of adventure racing and it was people doing some stuff for a period of time. No, no, (laughs) no, no, really? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of true. So the main reason I got, uh, the rock hard pussy to get up for an adventure race is our friend and mentor, Laura Calm Toys. So uh, she, uh, at a physical therapist appointment, I was talking to her about altering and she said, or orienteering, I had just started getting into orienteering. And she said, have you ever done an adventure race? And I was like, I don't even know what this thing is. And she was like, and it was just, it's funny in retrospect, because looking back, like who would have who thought that she was like, hey, have you ever heard of adventure racing? I've been doing it for 12 years. I'm a hard yeah. ass. Like, what? what? Yeah. If it wasn't for her saying like, Hey, you should look into adventure racing. I would have had no clue that it even existed. And I think when you think about like, how did I get motivated to do it? I don't think I, I knew any better. Like, and luckily I have you at my side to be, if I'm ever like, uh, I don't know if you're like, yeah, yeah, let's, yep. Uh, yeah, we're I mean, doing if it. You
0: get an idea and you're mildly interested in it. I'm going to sign up for it before I even tell you that I want to
1: do it. Yeah. Yeah. So we did, and I would say this is one where we're both, we're both in the newbie stage, which is great. We did our first adventure race last June. Mm -hmm. And so here's the idea for an adventure race. It is moving along by your own body's power in some form of fashion and navigating using a map and compass. The way that you're traveling can be anything from uh, moving on foot on road, on trail, cross country, meaning not on the trail. It can be on a bike, either a paved trail or off trail in the woods. It can be paddling in a kayak, a canoe, or uh, just just you in a life jacket. (laughs) <laughs> it could be you going, uh, doing a Tyrolean into traverse, which is, you know, hand mm-hmm. over hand across, uh, on a rope. Um, it can be horseback. We haven't gotten to that, but you know, for expedition races, it could be horseback or like, uh, what's some of the other crazy things. So I, I hesitate to say yes to it being like a mountain triathlon, because I think a triathlon makes it seem like you do thing one, thing two, thing three, Mm. but you can be on foot and then go to bike and then go back to foot and then go to boat and then go back to bike and have all these different transition areas. So that was um, the
0: most surprising part of it for me. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Walking Uh, into
0: the race, like ready to ride, like do the race. I didn't know that.
1: And I think, um, you know, I talked about everything we've already talked about being kind of lumped into adventure racing. If you're somebody that hasn't got into orienteering and navigating quite yet, don't let that scare you away from adventure racing. So one of the cool aspects of adventure racing is that it is primarily, and first off, a team sport. So typically it's teams of two to four people. So if you are not somebody who navigates, that's okay. Most teams, most of the team, not all of the team members know how to navigate or use a map and compass to get around
0: frequently. They don't.
1: Yes. So don't feel like if you can't navigate by map and compass, or if that's not something you're interested in, that adventure racing is not something you can get into. You totally can. Um, I there's just, I feel like there's so many things to say about adventure racing. Um, Right now, I as far as resources for beginners, I want to say like there's uh, a new uh, race series coming out on Amazon Prime called World's Toughest Race. And it's actually a reboot of the show uh, Eco Challenge or the Race Eco Challenge that was uh, in the late 90s, early 2000. And that's like pretty much everybody who does adventure racing now got into it from watching that show and that race from 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get like, the big version of what adventure racing is like i would say watch world's toughest race it's it's like watching the barkley documentary in relation to a normal ultra so take whatever you see on world's toughest race and like shrink it way down mm-hmm. and that's what an adventure race is like yeah and then put it in the amazon yeah <laughs> or specifically fiji for this one <laughs> so that comes out august that comes out august uh 12th or 14th um If uh, this is another sport, find a mentor. Like there are people around you that want you to get into it. Um, It's so freaking fun. Adventure racing is so freaking fun.
0: I I mean, I, I would say to the people who say things like it's too expensive or it's too much stuff. I would say the same thing to them as I did about mountain biking, which is find people who like it and do it. They will help you find a way to do it. Like if, if today someone needed to wanted to start between the two of us, we could probably outfit them from head to toe, mm-hmm. like with a pack, with a paddle, with um, the old mongoose mountain bike, which we could probably let anybody ride. I mean, like we could just hand stuff down.
1: Yeah. And I think um, adventure racing, like uh, as we've kind of talked through things, we've worked, we've inadvertently worked our way from the most mainstream to the most niche, I think. Mm-hmm. And adventure racing, um, the United States Adventure Racing Association just got taken over by a new group of people or acquired by a new group of people that are really going to work to get adventure racing back to a growth mindset. Cause essentially there's not been a lot of growth in who participates in adventure races since eco challenge went off the air. So with new leadership in USARA and new race directors coming on board or race directors really looking to increase their participation and people being involved in the sport, like you're gonna start hearing more about adventure racing and race directors, Well, again, we want we want you to come. We want you to come to adventure racing. Um, as an example on the gear the gear concept, um, there's uh, WDQ Adventure Racing or the We Don't Quit Adventure Racing Club. They're in the Virginia area. And just as an example, they put on a hike, uh, a hike paddle bike event and they are lucky enough to have it at a venue where there are bike rentals and uh, kayak rentals on site. So if you don't have a boat, which no one does, like we we neither Lauren nor I have ever used a personal watercraft when we go to yeah. an adventure race. the canoes are provided, the yeah. paddles, the life jackets are provided if you don't already have your own um you don't that's not something you have to supply yourself, but um we don't quit uh event as an example, like you can show up as a complete noob, you have your feet so you can do the hike portion, you can borrow a kayak from them, and you can rent a bike on site like there there's that level of um uh friendliness if you've never done that before um so yeah would highly highly recommend connecting with your local adventure race community and i think again you're going to start hearing more about it in the near future true
0: sure. um i want to hit on one more discipline before i talk about um something an overarching thing that's one of our listeners talked about and that <laughs> like like you said we went from least niche to most niche and that is cyclocross
1: although i would i would say cyclocross i think is working its way to being less niche
0: oh really yeah i think so i guess so i guess gravel bike people like that's how they're getting them is like buy a gravel bike and then like try to race your first cyclocross race on it would you ever consider racing this discipline
1: so Legitimately, So yes, I I would get, I could see giving a go. My biggest hesitation is one of my least favorite things is motion through grass. I don't like running through grass. I don't like cycling through grass.
0: It's 80% riding through grass.
1: It's a thousand fingers pushing you backwards Mm -hmm. and cyclocross is biking and running through grass. grass.
0: Yeah, that's true. That would definitely make it harder for you to
1: enjoy yourself. But uh, so I'm not a CrossFitter at all, but I watched like the CrossFit championships, like for last year or two years ago. And cyclocross was one of their disciplines or it was, it was either mountain bike. I think it was cyclocross. I don't think that's it was mountain so biking. Weird.
0: To me, that's as weird as like having them do like a great British bake-off in the middle of
1: CrossFit. They looked they look like they we- were. Like, that's, that's how weird it looks. With yes. But admittedly, watching these people that were not cyclists lumber through this, I was like, that seems like kind of fun. Like, it kind of feels like, you know, like the idea of like picking your bike up and throwing it over logs and yeah. stuff and running. Yeah. And also the idea that, uh, like one of the things that I think is hilarious and terrifying about cycling is with trail running. If you're going uphill, you can always go slower. That's not the case with cycling, but nope, I like the idea. Stop. But I like the idea with cyclocross that if you're pedaling up a hill and you're like, this is not working, you would get off and walk or run with your bike. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Which won't really lower your heart rate in any way, but yeah, it will help a little.
1: So yes, I could, I could see doing that. Cool.
0: That's all I really want to say about cyclocross. All
1: right. Um, Other (laughs) listener stuff that people mentioned on social media. um, Go for it.
0: Oh, I was going to say, I loved um, Caitlin Smith's comment about falling in love with your sport. Basically how you, I I think, stay with anything is that you develop a love for it. And for me, like I started with like a weight loss mentality, but then like I got stuck on sports because I totally fell in love with running. So, I mean, I I feel like that's the key to longevity. And also just like, you're not going to do it if you don't like it.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And she also said, accept the possibility that you will fail and that's okay. And I think that goes kind of in tangent with Morgan saying you're going to suck for a bit and that's part of the process Mm -hmm. and not to expect it to feel easy and natural on your first attempt or your 20th. So I think that also like being able to have those expectations, like I know at first I kind of felt like if running doesn't feel easy to start, then that means I'm not supposed to be doing it. Like I remember going on my first runs. And it feeling weird that the back of my hands were jiggling. Like, do you remember that feeling? Like, for me, wh- it was my thighs. Yeah. Like,
0: oh, and my stomach would like shake.
1: Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was something as simple as like the tactile sensation of my skin moving up and down with a run made me feel like this has to be something that nobody else experiences. Like, <laughs> what uh, I don't understand what I'm doing wrong. You're not doing anything right. wrong. Like, it's not going to feel easy when you first step out. And that's okay. If it was, easy to start what would be the fun what would be the fun in trying to do it further yeah
0: I mean you're not gonna like pick up a violin and play Tchaikovsky like it's just not gonna be easy for a while
1: yeah and that's part of the I mean honestly that's part of the fun running is
0: easier to learn than violin (laughs) (laughs)
1: um
0: Um, so I want to talk about Laura Calm Toys had mentioned about how different disciplines carry over to one another And I'm sure that other people would self-report a little bit differently, but I do have some items to report on. And that is that cycling for me in every discipline really helps running. But for me, running does not help cycling at all. Cycling is a different thing where you use different muscles. And I'm sure maybe the cardio would help minorly, but for me, it doesn't go back that way. It only goes from cycling to running.
1: Interesting.
0: That's just my, that's just my experience.
1: I think, I think less about the physiological aspect and more of the mental aspects. So like, I feel like from ultra running, my ability to do a thing for a long time is a skill that translates directly to other things. Like, I don't know that I would be as successful as like, doing a row game for orienteering, which, you know, we've done them like eight to 24 hour ones. I don't think I would be able to do that if I didn't have my ultra running experience of running a hundred miles.
0: Yes. And for me, I would say some of my disciplines like cyclocross and mountain biking have removed fear in a way that empowers me to do other sport. Like, I think that just having a lot of racing under my belt has allowed me to feel less scared in a different kind of race, like just gunning it, at like, you know, with like a mile to go in a mountain bike race has sort of empowered me to be in a running race and be like, maybe I'll squeeze a little juice out here and see what I can do at the finish and just really give it a go. Whereas if I hadn't had that kind of racing experience, I'd probably just be like, it's just, you know, it's whatever. I mean, I'll get there.
1: <laughs> and I I love that doing all these different things has increased my view on what I and my body are capable of so knowing like hey I figured out I figured out orienteering like I can figure out how to ride a mountain bike like I'm I'm capable like that confidence certainly translates from one thing to another um
0: I wanted to mention Charles Watts we see your comment about couch to BFC guide That's a whole two hour episode. So (laughs) I want to say, I see you, my dude, I see you, but I can't unpack that right now.
1: Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. This, you know, this, uh, I feel like that's something that people put into the beginners, uh, category to do BFC as their first ultra.
0: I feel like you can,
1: you can do that. I feel like there's that's uh, yeah. I wouldn't recommend it
0: unless you really like Maybe if you're like a hunter and a runner, like you're really familiar with being, I'm I'm saying, here's why. Like if you're familiar with being like off trail and in like heavy, dense vegetation, you actually might thrive in that zone because you wouldn't be intimidated by walking through a thing that's not a trail. Because I think that's the, the like immediate shock value of being like going through a section that's not on trail is like, this is actually impossible. This is impossible. You can't like... And also the feeling of like, you're not going to run most of it. So if you like came in your booty shorts with like a headband and nothing else on, and you're like, I'm going to run it. Like, you're going to be mega disappointed. (laughs) You have to be prepared to crawl. And also just like, it's just a humbling experience in general. So if you're prepared for a humbling experience with a lot of dense vegetation, then yay, totally do it.
1: Do that. So I feel like I'm going to put couch to BFC in its own corner while I make my next statement. I feel strongly, cause I want to talk about all these, anything that kind of applies to all things. I feel strongly that none of the activities that we've talked about require you to be at a certain fitness level before you start.
0: Absolutely. I'm
1: going to say that again. You do not have to be at a certain fitness level before you try any, any of these things for the first time.
0: Except for ultra
1: Yes. But you can work towards an ultra without yeah, being at any established. But yes, you're right. The rest
0: of it, you can go out tomorrow and try. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes.
1: You may not be able to do it for very long. You may not be able to do it very fast. Doesn't matter. I'm still working under that MO. I'm still not doing anything yeah, very long or very fast. No, you can still
0: fucking tweet that you did it.
1: Yeah. Um. Let's see if there's any other pieces. Um. Again, I just say we're available for like questions. Like we, we want you, like all of the things that we do, we want you, we want you to come do these things more, more people, more women should be doing orienteering, ultra running, trail running, off trail stuff, bike packing, mountain biking, adventure racing, like there are resources to get you out there.
0: Yes. And I mean, we are people who occupy a lot of spaces in a lot of different athletic communities and we are fully engaged in the conversation that includes lgbtq plus and people of color in all of those spaces and if you feel like your voice or your or you're not able to take up space in those places like come come like be a part of it with us like annie is already on a committee that and Regarding adventure racing and like entering a sport for a diverse population, we we're doing our best to make this a place where everyone feels safe, comfortable, and welcome. And if you feel like you've got a really great message that would help other people feel that way, we would love to entertain your voice in that community.
1: Um, I have a thing that I want to read, and it's it's um, a poem titled "A Note from the Beach." But I'm going to I'm going to insert. Uh, woods applicable words instead of the original poem words. So uh, it reads, hello, I am the woods. I am created by glaciers and erosion. I'm made of eroded rocks. I exist next to the cities. I have been around for millions of years. I was around at the dawn of life itself. And I have to tell you something. I don't care about your body. I am the woods. I literally don't give a fuck. I am entirely indifferent to your body mass index. I am not impressed that your abdominal muscles are visible to the naked eye. I am oblivious. The woods do not care about your body. (laughs) Mm, mm, So that's a a note from the beach by Matt Haig. And I just thinking about being a beginner and, you know, that's only one piece of the puzzle of what keeps somebody from trying something for the first time, but it certainly is a a chunk of it for me. but, uh, yeah, you, you belong here.
0: Yeah. Hell yeah. You do come. Hey, so this has been
1: a beginner's guide from Burf barf on some of the sports that we do. It's funny to think that that's not all the sports we do. We also do kayak and soon to be supboarding boarding and yeah, like, we don't even cover it all. It's funny. A year from now, we'll probably be like, can you believe we started doing this weird fucking thing since then? Yeah. Do you even base jump bro?
0: Yeah, I know. We'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there.
1: Yeah. Um, Thank
0: you for joining us for this beginner's guide. And and until
1: next time, we
0: are.